All right, I'm running out of time. My message this morning is based on last week's message. Last week I preached rewards, a kingdom concept. Rewards, a kingdom concept. I've been teaching for the last six, seven weeks on attitudes of the kingdom. The first six, seven weeks I've preached on the power, the authority, principles of the kingdom. Now I've been preaching on attitudes of the kingdom. We know who we are in Christ. We know we have power. We know we have authority. Let's understand the character of this kingdom so that we can live in such a way where we are flowing harmoniously with the culture of God's kingdom, which is so different than the culture of the world. Are you hearing me? Come on, don't go quiet on me. Don't go quiet on me. I said, are you hearing me? I need your support today. You're going to give it to me? Come on, cheer your pastor on, and uh, I promise you I will cook up the best meal I can cook up. But I need you to be the furnace that helps me cook it. All right, now. So last week I preached rewards, a kingdom concept. Rewards is God's idea. My message today is a rewarder. That's who God is. You see, rewards are a kingdom concept because the king of the kingdom is a rewarder. Everybody hearing me? All right. Uh, Last week I, I spoke on Luke chapter 18, verse 18 to 30. A certain ruler asked him, good teacher, what must I do to have eternal life? And Jesus said, why do you call me good? No one is good but God. The mere fact that Jesus put that word in the context that nobody is good except for God, Jesus is letting us know that that Greek word good is not like, oh yeah, that's good, but it is morally perfect and pure. When we look at the Greek word in the original context, and if you guys can just throw it up real quick, that word good is agathos, which means intrinsically good, perfect by nature. What does intrinsic mean? It means inborn, natural, the constitution of, it is built in, it is ingrained, it is inseparable. I want you to understand that God's goodness is inseparable from who he is. He can't be a good God one moment and then an angry, unjustifiably judging God the next. His goodness is intrinsic, it is ingrained in him. He is absolutely good and pure and righteous and just. It is inherent, existing in something as a permanent, essential, or characteristic attribute. And I made this statement. I said that this definition of God and the of good and the understanding that God is absolutely good. I said, this is essentially absolutely necessary to understand. Without this revelation, you will always struggle to get anywhere in God. If we have a perverted perspective of who he is, we will always have a twisted path. Hang on a second. I'm going to do my job, and I'm going to do your job. Good preaching, Pastor Rob. If we have a perverted perspective of who God is, we will always journey on a twisted path. I made statements like this. God is good. He is absolutely morally pure, incapable of the slightest tinge of gray. He is absolutely morally pure. He is the whitest of white. And when I said this last week, I added the fact this is not a racial comment. He is pure, absolutely pure. I said, I made this comment, you will only ever trust God to the level you perceive the goodness of God. Do you understand that what took place in the Garden of Eden was the battle of the ages? 
We get so worried about nuclear warfare and China's building up their nuclear armament and Russia's building up and making stupid threats and the world is going crazy. North Korea is, is gathering their arsenal and all these megalomaniacs have access to the most powerful thing which can do phenomenal damage. But the greatest damage that has ever been done to humanity happened in the Garden of Eden where Satan succinctly and successfully perverted the image of God in the mind and the imagination of a man. And everything else we've been fretting about and everything else that has got us unglued and undone only ever happened because the image of God was distorted. The battle of the ages. Satan wasn't out to just get Adam and Eve to sin. He understood he couldn't get them to sin unless he separated them from the image of who God really is. And so he started to whisper in their ear. He started to speak into their heart. You want to know where religion originates from? It originates from the mouth of Satan himself. The same way religion paints the wrong picture of who God is, it came out of the belly of that foul accuser whose name is Satan. Here's an interesting point. If you look up the word Satan in the Greek, it literally means the meaning, the name Robert means bright and faint. The name Satan means accuser. That's what it means, accuser. In Revelation, God calls him the accuser of the brethren. But before he was ever the accuser of an individual, he was the accuser of God to the brethren. And so the battle of the ages took place in the garden. It wasn't a quest so much to get man to sin. It was a quest to separate the perspective and the image of God in man's mind and bring distortion to it. Because you will never obey what you don't love. You'll never follow what you don't trust. And so it was imperative for Satan to sabotage the character and the namesake of who God was. Adam and Eve walked with God in the cool of the day and so the devil had to hammer away with his religious lingo to put a wedge between man's heart and the picture of how they saw God. And so I say, you will only ever trust God to the level you perceive the goodness of God. This is Alyssa, Alicia, Alisa, third time. Don't tell anyone you had to keep telling me. Alisa, Alicia, Alisa. I thought I said Alisa, and then I heard, I thought I heard. Ushers, this is the second week in a row. Will you escort him out? I rebuke that perverted tongue. You will only ever have relationship with God to the level that you perceive him. And, and, and I hate religion because it always pitches... God as being very legalistic, locked in a box, bound by words and rules, rather than being a God of heart and expression and thought and compassion and understanding. How many of you know one size doesn't fit all? And, and, and you and your mom could wear the same size shoe, but it'll fit you a little differently around the sides of your feet than it fits mom. And it, might, and it might fit you a little bit differently on your heel than how it fits her, even if you have the same size. And, and, and that's the thing that I love about God is that he gets us so individually. He knows how we're formed. 
He knows where we got broke. He knows where we got short-circuited. And this is why I say God is good. Because he doesn't judge me by the directions on the back of a cornflake box. He understands me by the steps I've taken in life. Hello? God is so much bigger and better than religion. And you will only ever trust God to the level that you perceive the goodness of God. And I love the fact that he knows David um, Juan. He knows Elisa. (laughs) Juan, he knows how we are formed. He understands how I got to be in the broken mess that I am. And he doesn't sit there with his ruler and say, oh, oh my God, you're two inches too short and you're out of proportion here. No, he understands it and he graciously works with me and he heals me first before he even tries to change me. Hello? Look, this this is absolutely important. We get so worried Look, do I think we're heading potentially to a World War III? Yeah, I do. Yeah, I do. But that's not as bothersome to me as the fact that billions of human beings have got a wrong perspective of who God is. Because that is more devastating than what a nuclear bomb can do. Because if we get the right image of God, people will start to walk on the right path and everything will change accordingly. One of the first places this needs to happen is in the church. And that's why I refuse to preach sermons. Maybe they don't have the form and the tact and they're they're not structured the way they... I don't give a... (laughs) You sneezed at a very good time. I don't, I don't care. Judge me by the format of how I preach. I hope I fail the structure. I'm going to preach to you from heart and from spirit of what I know from the word of God and what I've experienced in God. Now, my experiences never trump his word, but we read his word through religious eyes. And religion has done too much preaching and too much talking. Religion will always tell you what you need to do to be right. But religion very rarely extends its hands, let alone its arms, let alone open its heart to help you along that journey. Thank you. Let's have the next statement up. And this is still just review. You will only ever experience the God you perceive. Do you know why some churches are so stuffy? Do you know why religion runs rampant in some places? Because they will only experience the God they perceive. And the more you have a warped picture of God, you will interpret everything that happens in your life through that warped image. And it will affirm and reaffirm a lie. You will only ever experience the God you perceive. I made this comment very quickly last week. There's a parable. And a parable is a a story that parallels a truth in heaven. Jesus, God in the flesh, makes up this story, this parable. And he says that there was a rich ruler about to go away and he entrusted three men with some uh, money. It was, the currency was called talents. And uh, he gave a talent to one man and that man produced 10. And he was happy uh, to say to his master when he returned, you gave me one, I'm giving you 10. And the master said, give him 10 cities and let him be in charge of 10 cities. And then there was another guy. He got one and he said, I I got five for you. Yippee, yippee, yippee. I mean, like a little kid, they were excited. This is what I produced for you. And the master said, give him five cities. And then one guy says, you know, I got this one and 
I know you, Larry, and you're really tough, and you're really harsh, and you're, you're, you're demanding, and you get results even where nobody puts any effort in. You just you exact out of us unrealistic expectations. So because of that, I buried the talent in the ground. You've been gone 15 years. Hey, I still got your talent. And out of the perception that this man perceived God, God was to him as he judged God. And God said, oh, you perceived I was harsh, exacting, difficult? Okay, then let me be that to you. Take the one talent he has and give it to someone else who did something with it. And you, based on how you judged me, I will be to you. You'll be thrown into a lake of fire with his gnashing of teeth. Now remember, a parable is a made-up story by God, Jesus, God, to parallel a truth in the spirit realm. I didn't write the parable. Jesus did. And so you will only ever experience the God you perceive. The next statement says something about this is why Jesus always said, according to your faith. If you think that God is a T-Rex, he's huge, but he's got short arms. He's stingy. A lot of Christians that worship God as a T-Rex, they'll talk about how big God is, but in their concept of who he is, he's got short arms. He's not quick to help. He's not quick to hug. He's not quick to love. He'll eat you. God isn't a T-Rex. He is huge. He is powerful. But he's got humongous arms that know how to embrace us and love us and hold us when nobody else wants to be near us. Religion makes God a T-Rex. I got an insatiable appetite but I don't have arms to reach your needs. I'm only going to meet mine. Yeah, it was good, wasn't it? He said it? Let him back in. (laughs) You'll only experience the God you perceive. So last week, my sermon was about rewards is a kingdom concept. Today, I want to hammer it home. The reason why it's a kingdom concept is because a rewarder is who God is. The kingdom is a reflection of who he is. God is a rewarder. Somebody say, good preaching, Pastor. I got to tell you, while we were worshiping, knowing, you know, my sermon content, and this will probably become a sermon or maybe even a series, I started thinking about Abraham and how God called him the father of faith. Do you know Abraham screwed up over and over again? But there's one thing he got right. He screwed up. He made so many mistakes, and yet he was labeled the father of faith. Why? Because he judged God correctly. In all of his screw-ups and his mistakes, when he finally, between him and Sarah, gave birth to their own flesh and blood. Abraham's now over 100 years old. It's It's a miracle that he was even able to be intimate with his wife. She had been barren years before. She had been barren, and now she lost her cycle. Ladies, you know what I'm talking about. She, she couldn't bear a child when the fruit of her womb was ripe. Now the fruit was gone. And they finally have this seed of the expression of their adoration and love for each other. And God says, lay him down on the altar. 
Joe, could you imagine? You and Lydia finally have this beautiful little baby girl. She's flesh of your flesh and flesh of Lydia's flesh. The two of you combined are inside of her. Could you imagine putting her on an altar and saying, God, you told me to lay her down and to even sacrifice her? You see, Abraham's called the father of faith because beyond all human reason and emotion, he perceived the goodness of God. And the Bible says in Hebrews, the Hebrew fathers had taught in the Talmud that Abraham believed that if he sacrificed his son because God said, through your son, I'll raise up a nation, Abraham was absolutely convinced that when he sacrificed Isaac, God would raise him from the dead. He was so convinced of the goodness of God, he knew God couldn't make a promise, deliver the promise, and then take it away. And so if he had to sacrifice it, God would breathe life into that dead body and it would live. And in the book of Hebrews it says, God believed, Abraham believed that God would raise him from the dead. You see, you will only experience God to the level that you perceive him. Why is this message so important to me? Why is it so important that I get across to you that God's a rewarder? Because your Christian experience will float and hinge on whether you think God is for you or against you. So many people as born-again Christians live that childish ditty where we pick up a flower with 50 petals on it and we say, he loves me, he loves me not. He loves me, he loves me not. And if we don't perform right, he loves me not. If we wake up in a bad mood, he loves me not. And day to day we're having questions as to where we stand with God and whether or not he loves us. And I gotta tell you, I'm inconsistent, but if there's one constant, it's God. And God is, I am that I am. You know what that means? I'm not different than yesterday, and I won't be different tomorrow. I am that I am. I am a rock. I am constant. I am consistent. Yeah. Steadfast. You could bank on his character. Yeah. Why is this so important? Because the level of the church being effective on the earth directly hinges on the perspective of the church of their father in heaven. Amen. Oh, that was good. <laughs> Pastor Carlos, make a note of that. That needs to go out on Monday. Don't ask me to repeat it. I'm not sure what I said. I just know it sounded good coming out of my mouth. You know, you could say to yourself, how does he remember all these sayings? I don't. Some of them just come out. It's like prophetic. It just spoken out, and then I'm listening. I go, whoa, that was good. This, this is very important. God is a rewarder. So I want to take you to, and I'm running out of time, Hebrews chapter um, 11, verse 6. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6. Yeah, Hebrews eleven six. Without faith, it's impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. Amen. Now, you know, we've, we've grown up in a, a faith atmosphere, especially if you've been more in spirit-filled, charismatic environments We've learned the formula, we've learned the posture of what faith looks like and what faith sounds like. And even in that respect, please, I'm going to challenge a little bit of remnants of religious spirits in all of us. Even that is religious. Faith isn't a formula. Faith is based on the relationship of the one you're trusting. It's based on his character. 
And I can preach you, and I've preached the formula of faith, and, and I can teach faith as a structure. I can teach faith as a currency. I can teach you how to trade, to buy and sell with faith. Literally, faith is the currency of the kingdom of God. You won't have without faith. Faith is the currency of the kingdom of God. And I can teach you how to trade on the market with faith. I can teach you how to acquire things, whether it's healing, whether it's deliverance, whether it's prosperity. I can teach you how to move in the formula of faith. But there's something greater than the currency itself. And it's the nature and the heart of the one behind the currency. Yeah. Hebrews 11.6, without faith it's impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who diligently seek him. I said last week rewards are a kingdom concept because God is a rewarder. Rewards aren't a kingdom concept because that's just the kingdom. No, rewards are a kingdom concept because the king is a rewarder. The first word I want to break down in this verse, let's put the verse back up for a second. It says, without faith it's impossible to please God. The word please in the Greek is yoaresteo and Get the proper pronunciation from Gina later. Um, she's, she's Greek, and uh, she'll say it properly. It means to give pleasure to, to gratify entirely. How many of you want to gratify God? How many of you want to please him? You know, what, what absolutely thrills me is when someone gets me. When they look beyond the preacher, when they look beyond the uh, status, when they understand my heart, when they get me, when they say something that proves they know me. Do you know most of us are not known? One of the saddest things in humanity is that as we enter into relationship, the people who should know us the best often don't. And most of us are in relationships that are unsatisfying because we're not known. I think one of the most dehumanizing thing that we could do is not be intimate enough and not be sensitive enough to know the person we say we love. Most of us are never known. We're known about... We're known by the gossip, we're known by the stories, we're known by inaccurate assessments of who we are. But too often we are not known as we are. And what I love about God is that he knows me, he gets me, he sees me, he feels me. I love that about him. It brings him back into the realm of This is my dad, not just a deity. He's my father. He's got the same DNA I have. His heart bleeds and breaks the way mine bleeds and breaks. And he doesn't measure me by a standard. He measures me by how much he loves me. That was good. He doesn't measure me by a standard. He measures me by how much he loves me. That was good. Isaac, that was very good. I didn't write it. It's impossible to please God. It's impossible to gratify him unless we believe that he is and believe that he's a rewarder. You see, God's turn on is when we get him. Why? Because the great turn off was when Adam knew him face to face And Adam walked with him in the cool of the day. And yet Adam could be convinced that about something about God that wasn't God at all. Broke God's heart. And so just like you, both of you, you want to be known. You want to be understood. 
You don't want to be judged by the color of your skin. You don't want to be judged by your education. You don't want to be judged by how much you make or what kind of stupid car you drive or how you dress. We want people to know us by who we are. We want them to get our heart and not just read the language of our actions, but understand that these actions are actions that come out of how I got twisted, how I got hurt, how I got bent, and you see beyond that, and you see me. Yes. Am I talking to anyone in this house? This is what I love about God. And this is what God loves. If we believe this scripture, it says it is impossible to please him. It is impossible to gratify him unless we judge him as a rewarder. Unless we believe he is and he's a rewarder. He's good. He's great. He's kind. He's loving. He will come to the rescue. It's the button that turns his heart on and gets him excited. I'm not sorry if I'm not preaching religiously enough for you. Without faith, it's impossible to please him because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists. The word believe is the word Pistioo, pistioo, to believe, to entrust, to have faith in, to have trust in. The helps word study commentary says that it means to be persuaded. Do you know after all the walks in the garden, obviously Adam wasn't persuaded about God because he was swayed away from God. And the reason why God calls Abraham the father of faith, though he screwed up and made so many mistakes, was that when it came to his own flesh and blood, he could lay down this child that finally at 100 years old plus, he has this little boy. And he's absolutely convinced God said that out of this child will come a nation. And the nations of the world will be blessed through him. And Abraham was so persuaded about the goodness of God that if God said, I want you to sacrifice him and take his life, Abraham was absolutely convinced that God would just raise him from the dead. And so here it says, that God wants us to be persuaded. Too often we are swayed, not persuaded. And so the scripture here, to be persuaded, to believe, to affirm, to have absolute confidence. The next word is rewards. Uh, the word re rewards, I won't even try to repeat it. It's up there. You try it. A renumerator, a rewarder. It comes from two words, mythos. And I used this word mythos last week, and I said rewards are a kingdom concept, and mythos is used 11 times just in the four Gospels. And the word rewarder comes from the word mythos and apodinomy. And when you put the two words together, it means God gives from his treasure of rewards. Sorry, double, when they're put together, it, it, it multiplies the effect. Okay, from a Greek mouth, from a Greek woman. There you go, thank you. I'll consult you more often. What do I owe you for that? All right, so uh, uh, mythos and apodinomy, it means he will bring from his treasures of rewards and give to us. Isn't it interesting? Everyone, look at me. Isn't it interesting that the thing that lights God up is that you're persuaded, no matter what crap you're going through, no matter what's going on in life, you're persuaded that God can only do good by you and will only do good for you. 
When people judge me by ministries they've experienced in the past, it hurts me. When people put me in the same category as a ministry that's disappointed them or ripped them off, it hurts me. Why? Because it offends my integrity. And when we are swayed by religion and we have a different picture of God, it hurts his integrity. Because he is good, he is absolutely morally pure without a hint or a tinge of gray. It offends his perfection. It offends his integrity when we perceive him less than who he is. And that's why God is gratified completely when we see him and we are persuaded that he only wants to do good. Look, the thief comes to steal and to kill and to destroy. And if the thief was allowed to have his way, Rebecca would be dead a long time ago. Rebecca's having miracle after miracle after miracle, and God would say to you, Janine, irrespective of all the kinks, the bends, and the twists that went on throughout your journey in life, trust him. He is a rewarder, and if you really believe that God is that good, she won't come home half broken for the rest of her life. She will come home and be completely whole. You will only ever experience the God you perceive. And you say, Pastor, you're really, really on this. Yes, because the devil is still whispering in the Garden of Eden. Do you understand? He has the audacity to trespass onto God's territory, the Garden of Eden, and he will pee in your ear lies from the river of hell. And you can be saved, born again in a spirit-filled home and in a spirit-filled church and you could be in worship in your house and the devil will start to try to trickle the river of lies in your ear about the image of God. If he did it in the Garden of Eden, he'll do it anywhere, anytime. That's why you and I have to be persuaded Jordan, we have to be persuaded about who God is. He's a rewarder. He can only do good. He wants to do good. He wants to bless me. He's on my side. Half the church, <laughs> forgive me, I'm exaggerating. 90% of the church is convinced half the time or more that God is against them. And how that must break God's heart. Because God wants us to know how much he's for us. Amen. Absolutely. How am I doing, Dad? The, the fourth word from this verse that I want to take is earnestly seek him. Exeteo. It comes from two words, ek and zeteo to search out, to investigate, to crave, to demand, to inquire, to require, to seek after carefully and digilantly. Too often we read things in scripture, oh, whatsoever you ask in my name, I'll do it for you. And we half-heartedly, without much thought of consequences or circumstance, without much passion, okay, God, I want this. I really wish everyone would get a Strong's Dictionary and learn how to go back to the Greek and the Hebrew. Because when it says, whatsoever you ask in my name, the word ask means to make a demand of, to urgently, seriously, determinedly want. If you give your child every little whim, the minute it comes out of their mouth, they will have no appreciation or value for anything in life. But when they are rewarded for the things that they desperately, seriously, earnestly want, you've helped them to assign value 
to things. God's no different. He's more human than you are. We're broken humanity. We were created in his image once we were unbroken humanity. The element of nobility that exists potentially in human beings comes right from the very nature and the heart of God. Isn't that great? It makes him real. It makes him tangible. Hopefully enough people will get this idea that they'll stop being stupid, bat-stirred, crazy religious and just be normal and passionate about God and compassionate on behalf of God. Praise God. So if we were to take these four words... Earnestly means to inquire, to seek after, to diligently, to hunger, to really want something. If we were to take these four definitions and put them back into Hebrews eleven six, and I'm at the end here, this is how it would read. Stick it up on the board. And without faith, it's impossible to please, to give pleasure to, to gratify God entirely. Because anyone who comes to him must believe and be persuaded and affirm and have confidence that God exists and that he rewards, he remunerates from his rewards anyone who earnestly seeks him, search him out, investigates, craves, demands, inquires and requires of him and seeks carefully and diligently after him. God's a rewarder. Do you know why we have so much trouble getting people to give in church? Because of your image or people's image of who God is. We know the verse that says he will give, pressed down, shaken together, and running out all over. God is no man's debtor. He will give you more than you give him. We know these scriptures, but if we were persuaded about them, People would pour finances into the kingdom of God because they would realize based on God's character, this is the absolute best investment. They're going to get the best return ever. And the mere fact that the church is always begging for finances means that we have a beggarly picture of who God is. Did anyone feel that? There's a whole world to reach. You can cry and complain about the education system and you can blame this political party and you can blame the other political party. But what the heck is the church doing about establishing a standard of education that goes beyond the right or the left? If we really believe that God is a rewarder, if we are persuaded about the character of God, as Christians, we would have no problem investing and dumping our time, our energy, and our resources into the kingdom of God because we're convinced that the king of the kingdom rewards better than the God of this world. Yeah, I know. I'm hitting below the belt. That's where I was aiming. So I hit the mark. Look, we like to pat ourselves on the back more than we pat God on the back. Oh, I did this. Oh, I gave up my time on Friday night. Oh, I gave $100. God will give you $10,000. And we want to be seen for what we do, and we don't recognize God for who he is. We want to be seen for what we do, and we don't recognize God for who he is. If you really want to flow in the kingdom of God on earth, 
It's one thing to say, God, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The first obstacle to the will of God being done on earth as it is in heaven is me. And the sooner I change my thinking and my attitudes to line up with the culture of the kingdom, that's the first door that has to be open so that God's will can be done in the life of Rob Scarallo as it is in heaven. Praise God. Scott, Scott, was that too low a blow? Am I saying the truth? You believe this stuff, don't you? I know you do. I know you do. You're passionate about seeing this church become a leader in the community. When I talk to you about vision and what we can do, you get passionate about, you know, giving and the people giving so that we break out of the rut of just religious existence into revelational fulfillment. I want to live in the revelation and fulfill the revelation of God's plan for his church. We like ditties and we like little sayings and we love our slogans. He made us the head and not the tail. And yet we act and think like the tail and not the head. And we think less of God. Church, the kingdom of God is at komahi, present tense verb. It is here, it is now. I don't care that you haven't seen it. I am sorry that the church in general, and I mean the church at large, is a poor example of what the kingdom of God is like. But Larry, you and I could start to make a difference. And with your wife, Christine, we could make a difference. Gina, Bill, we could start to make a difference. If we're willing to say, you know what? God says this. I'm going to believe it. I am going to put my heart and soul in this here. Patrice, if you and Omar start to say, we can do this. We can do this. Why just go to church? Let's be the church. Let's be a threat to the kingdom of darkness. Let's be the answer to society we are so worried about giving too much to the kingdom of God and we don't really understand he's a rewarder you can't outgive God not in time not in investment not in finances not in anything God is no man's debtor you will never do more for God than God will do for you Come on, let's go. You know, just had a thought. I'm glad they, on the cross, they stripped Jesus down to all but butt naked. Hear me. Don't get religious on me. Hear me. He wore a tunic that was so trendy and expensive, the Bible says it was seamless. Amazing man hours, extremely expensive. That's why the Roman soldiers were casting a lot to see who would get his garment. This is actually prophesied in Psalm 22, and it says they cast lots for my garment. And then in the Gospels, it's written, very exquisite piece of clothing. But I love the fact that he was stripped down to near butt naked. You know why? Because with that garment, we see a rabbi. We see a religious leader. But naked on the cross, whipped and bleeding like we are, we saw a God who became one of us. And he became one of us and took on our curse so that we could become like him, changed, transformed, renewed. Image of his image. Amen. Yeah, start to play. As we close this morning, 
If you've walked away from God, you can't begin to imagine how crazy God is about you coming home. I've walked away from God. My kids, even though they grew up in a preacher's home, they walked away from God. Maybe because they grew up in this preacher's home. I'm sure I had a hand in some of their wounds and some of their scars. I thank God that God's a rewarder. And he saw the things I did right, and he saw that I believe in the essence of who he is. And I thank God that he brought my own kids back to the faith. Maybe you've walked away. Maybe you're not living where you should be living. First thing you could do to totally gratify God's heart is have enough confidence in him to put your hand up and say, Jesus, I want to come back. Because that's a statement about how you see him. He's not going to berate you. He's going to call you beloved. Amen. Maybe you've never asked Jesus Christ into your heart. Maybe you've been to church and it's nothing more than religion and you've lit candles and you've repeated the chants. Maybe you've never believed in the existence of a God. Today, by the Holy Spirit, I'm speaking to your heart. I'm speaking to your mind. I'm speaking to your emotions. I'm telling you today, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Because he will deliver you. He will save you. He will heal you. He will set you free. And the first thing we have to do is say, Jesus, I believe you're all that. I'm not. I need you. Come into my heart. I'm not asking you to accept somebody who's going to judge you and talk down to you. I'm asking you to accept someone who's going to love you and pick you up. Amen. So if everyone would close their eyes as we close here this morning. If you have walked away from God or if you've never asked Jesus Christ into your heart, I understand you could be Catholic. You could even be Roman Catholic. You could be Greek Catholic. You could be Greek Orthodox. You could be Baptist. You could even come from a Pentecostal cornflakes box. I don't care. If you never had a relationship with Jesus, with God, you need to do that today. How many of you here this morning with every eye closed, you're ready to raise your hand and say, I want Jesus to come into my heart. Come on, lift your hand right now. One, two, thank you. I see you by the door, ma'am, I see you. Who else? Raise your hand right now and say, I want Jesus to come into my heart. I want relationship. Thank you. You can put your hand down. God bless you. Who else today wants to say yes to a God who can only reward because he's so good, so good. Is that you? One last time. If you haven't put your hand up already and you want to, come on, raise your hand. Praise God. I want everyone, especially those of you that raised your hand, those watching by live stream, repeat this prayer after me. It's a prayer that basically says, God, I want relationship. You want relationship? Come on, let's come together. We're going to invite Jesus into our life. You are not signing up to make this church your religion. You're asking Jesus to come and be real inside of you. It's the only thing that will save you. Religion will not. So everyone, especially those who raise your hands, repeat after me. God, I hear you. I hear you loud and clear today I need you and I want you thank you for wanting me thank you for getting me and not judging me thank you
for wanting a relationship with me. I made a lot of mistakes, but I believe right now that you actually love me. And so I'm asking you, Jesus Christ, come into my heart. Forgive me of my mistakes. Clean me up. Love me. Live in me. Live with me. Talk to me. Lead me. Guide me. Jesus Christ, I believe you are God and you died on that cross for me. I receive you today forever. And I know you receive me today forever. Amen. Amen. Church, we're going to break the debt off of this church. I want to go to the next level and the next level's bigger vision. The next level is more involvement in the community. The next level, we're going to go from what we can do as human beings and we're going to step in by faith and maybe a little bit of intimidation, but we're going to step into a level where we can only do by God's Spirit. I want you to start praying with your husband or your wife. If you're not married, I want you to start asking God what you can do and what you can give. I'm not asking you to go beyond what God tells you to do. This is not about an evangelist trying to extract from you something you'll regret in the morning. I've been saying this and preaching this for weeks now because I am not working on a motion or I would have passed the offering five weeks ago when I first said it. I'm speaking to your logic. I'm speaking to your heart. I'm speaking to your spirit. I'm informing you with the word of God. I want an educated decision that is based on agreement with the Holy Spirit talking to your spirit. And so I'm not trying to work you up into an emotional response, but I am telling you quite clearly and plainly, America needs honest, real, serious churches to get out of the way and to jump into the workforce. I'm not satisfied with just feeding you on a Sunday morning. I want to open a food pantry that'll feed the community throughout the week. I want to open things like daycare where unsaved kids come. They get dropped off at a Christian daycare and they're going to go home learning stories about Jesus. And any parent who doesn't want their kid in a Christian daycare can go to a different daycare. That's all right. But as for me and my house, everything we do will serve the Lord. I would love to see Christian school education. I would love to see a Christian school set up with excellence. Not some cheap, crappy, less than government funded school. No, the best of the best of the best. Whatever God dreams, I want us to put our hands to. And we can't do that while our hands are tied to financial institutions. They want to lord it over us. Let me tell you, the last people they trust, this is a fact, is the church. Because if they ever have to take a church back, then however many people are in that church, that's bad PR. We don't operate for a profit, so we're not like a business. They understand that the nature and the heart of a church is to give. And so we're a risk. So I can't rely on the government institutions to believe in us. I got to rely on you believing in God and making sacrifice so that we could step over the limitations of financial institutions 
and take this church to be in the community something that is out of God's wild imagination. So start praying. Start believing. Start asking God. Because when I finally bring the pledge cards, I don't want it to be the first time you've thought about it. And I don't want to catch you by emotion. I want to catch you by deliberate discussion that you've had with your father and a choice of how big a faith step you are going to take. Amen. Now, all of that aside, I want you to leave here with a bigger picture of God than what you came in here with. I want you to leave here with a lot less religion around your understanding and a lot more confidence in the character of God. So if you're going to do that, turn to three or four people and say, he got me today. I'm going for God. Come on, I'm going for God in Jesus' name. God bless you, church. Thank you. Come on, give each other a big round.